Hallelujah. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning? Can we praise the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords this morning? For he woke us up and he is good. Can somebody say amen? Amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Thank you so much, worship team, for that um, great worship set. Thank you for joining us. Whew. Summer is, feels like it's in full effect, doesn't it? Certainly in here it does today, praise God. Uh, we need one of those, some of those old Baptist fans in here. It's getting a little warm in here, praise God. Uh, thank you again so much. It's, it is a privilege to be uh, before all of you again today. Uh, on this wonderful and amazing Father's Day today. Can we give a round of applause to all of our dads in the room? Amen. Amen. I, I joke with my kids that uh, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek that uh, being a father is uh, the most thankless job in the world. But it is also the most rewarding. It is the most fulfilling. And it is the most satisfying job. It is the best title I've ever had. It truly is the pinnacle of my life. Nothing could top being a dad except for being a peepaw. I don't know how many Puerto Ricans you know named peepaw as a grandfather, but that's me. My daughter's got me this wonderful shirt that I had to wear. Big shout out to my daughters. It says, peepaw, the man, the myth, the legend. Amen. <laughs> I had to wear that today for them. I'm sure they're uh, watching the live stream or they will. So I wanted to wear that shirt and uh, give them a shout out. So thank you so much. You know, it, was, um, it wasn't until my late 20s that I realized how really fortunate that I was or that I, I still am that I have not just one dad, but I have two. And um, they have been such a blessing to me. My, my biological father, Louis Donato, a.k.a. Louie, as uh, much of the family in the community endearingly call my biological father. And then I have my stepfather, Hector Martinez, uh, a.k.a. Big Hector. I have a stepbrother named Hector, too. He's Hector Jr., little Hector. Um, they have been um, so amazing to me, and I, I have just been so fortunate to have both of those men, again, still in my life as I approach 40. I'll be 40 in August. Knocking on that door. Uh, I'll be 40 in August. I'm so blessed to still have them around and have them in my life. Um, you know, my, my dads have taught me so much in my almost 40 years. You know, they've taught me the value of hard work. They've taught me about loyalty, dedication to family. But you know, one of the most important things that my family, my, my fathers, my dads have taught me is the golden rule. Everybody know what the golden rule is? Do unto others as you have, have them do unto you. That's found in uh, Jesus' own words in Luke chapter 6, verse 33. It's a beautiful saying, and this is a saying that was recorded when Jesus was teaching his disciples how to love their enemies. And if that's what he was saying about their enemies, how much more should we love those who love us back? But to love or to give rather to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I think 
for most of my 20s and into my early 30s, I think I got that message fairly well from my dads. I think I understood it and I think I applied it fairly well. But I never understood it as well as I did seven years ago when I met the Lord Jesus for the first time in my life. And those words took on an entirely different meaning. I saw those words because of Jesus in a way that I had never considered, in a way that I never saw them before. But sadly, as I saw those words more intimately, what I also noticed is that the body of Christ at large, not necessarily uh, Emmanuel, but the body of Christ at large and our society has grown so far from those words that we can't see them, nor can we understand them, and we're blinded by our prejudice. It has blinded us, and we can't see it. Now, some of you um, might be sitting at home right now when I say that word, or sitting in this audience, and, and you may be thinking to yourself, I'm not prejudiced. I'm not prejudiced at all. Well, here's a newsflash. We all are. And that's hard to hear. It's hard to receive. But let me help you understand what I mean. We are all prejudiced, some to a greater or lesser degree, but we are all prejudiced in some way. And I think the sooner that we understand it, accept it, and receive it, the sooner we can get on to the business of correcting it and affecting change, not only in our personal lives, but in our church and our community at large. Now, before I move on, I want you to notice something. We are in a really, really sensitive time in our society. And you notice how I did not say racism. You notice I did not use that word, but love, because words matter. Words have importance and they have significance. And I didn't use the word racism because it is my personal belief and I think data proves this, that, and some may disagree, and that's totally fine. Again, I'm just giving you my personal opinion. This is not the word, but it is my belief that we don't have an issue with racism in our society. No, I don't, and I'll explain to you why in a moment. What I think that we have a major and significant issue with throughout our society is the issue of prejudice. Words matter. Now, a lot of people have worked very hard to make these words synonymous with one another, but they are not. They are distinctly different words with distinctly different meanings. But people throw around the word racism lightly and loosely as if it doesn't have meaning. But I'm going to give you some probably uh, oversimplified terms. I don't want to give you a philosophical and abstract term of racism and prejudice, and, and bear with me because I'm getting to a place today. I don't want to give you some abstract and philosophical thought, so let me give you the paraphrased or the maybe oversimplified version of uh, term of those, uh, definition of those two words. See, racism is the idea that your race is superior, inherently superior, objectively, in your view, than any other ethnicity or race. And as a result of that ideology, other behaviors and acts and even laws we've seen are a result of that idea of superiority. But prejudice, on the other hand, 
is this um, idea of preconceived opinions that are not based on reason, facts, or actual experience. Those are, those are drastically two different terms. And again, I don't believe we have an issue with racism in this country. And I know the media may want us to believe this, right? Because we're in, a, we're in an election year. And so we're playing identity politics. And beloved, believe me, I don't use the pulpit to talk about politics. There's another place in time for that. But, but I'm going to get you to a place today. Um, and I'll say this. Does America have a history of racism? Yes. Are there still in this country a small fraction of people who have racist ideologies? Yes, we do. Do I believe that the racism is systemic? I don't believe the data shows that to be true. Again, by definition. But what, again, I do believe is that we have a massive issue of prejudice. Just look at any of the recent viral videos that you see. Uh, whether it's the police injustices or someone calling the cops on someone of color because they were walking down the street or had a lemonade stand or just had a particular set of clothes on. It's not racism, it's prejudice. It's a prejudging of someone based on their color, based on how they walk or talk or look, or maybe their ethnicity, maybe even their occupation, i.e. the police officers today or maybe their social economic status. It's a prejudging of someone that doesn't fit perfectly into your little box. But I know someone who isn't prejudiced, as hard as that may be to believe. I know someone who has never been prejudiced, who has never displayed one word or one ounce of prejudice. If we look in the gospel narratives, every single one of them, we will find our Lord Jesus and he doesn't care at all about your color, about your ethnicity. He doesn't care about your gender. He doesn't care about your social status, your occupation, or your politics. You know what Jesus does care about? The one thing that our Lord and Savior does care about? Wait for it. It's your salvation. That's all that matters to him. As a matter of fact, amen, it goes even further. What Jesus cares about even more when he came to this earth, his only mission, the only thing he really cared about was to die on the cross for me and for you. Praise God. He came to die a death and experience the full wrath of God that you and I actually deserve. He came to die the substitutionary death so that we could be drawn back to the Father. Romans 5.10 says that while, we're, while we were still his enemies, we were reconciled unto God through the, through the death of his son, Jesus. Did y'all hear that? While you were still his enemy, he died for you and me. But you know, there's something really interesting about um, us, prejudiced people. And again, I, I think we all have a prejudice to greater or lesser degrees. That most of us are really and genuinely sincere. And let me give you an illustration of what I mean by the sincerity of people. Does anybody uh, here college football fans? Anybody? 
Amen. Okay. Hey, we got a few. How about historical college football? Anybody? Okay, maybe not. Does the name Roy Regal ring a, ring a bell to anybody? Wrong way Roy, as he was uh, famously named. Okay. I didn't think I would get any takers in the room for that. Okay. This is, I mean, this goes way back. So Roy Regal was made famous with one play during the 1929 Rose Bowl. Roy played what we call our modern-day nose guard. He played offense and defense. But Roy, um, it was during this one play um, in, the, in this championship game when he was playing for uh, Southern Cal. He was on defense, and the um, team on offense had fumbled the ball. Roy received, retrieved the fumble. He bounced off a couple tackles and ran it back almost 70 yards for a touchdown. Now that sounds great, right? The problem was when Roy bounced off and rolled off one of those tackles, he actually ran in the opposite direction that he was supposed to run in and actually scored a touchdown for the opposing team. And he gained, he, he gained the title wrong way, Roy. Roy was really well-intentioned. Roy was really sincere. He was running his heart out those 69 yards, and he was celebrating when he hit the end zone, and then his team was like, oh, what did you do? Roy was really sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. And a lot of prejudiced people today are so many of us who have different prejudices. We're the same way. We're sincere, but we're sincerely wrong in our prejudices. So today, I want you to open your Bibles today to John chapter 1. I'm going to be reading from uh, the New Living Translation, the NLT. Whatever you have is just fine. But today, we're going to read about um, someone in the Bible who was also very sincere. But he was sincerely wrong. He was a man who had a strong prejudice here in the text, but he was also a man who was sincere and lived a righteous and blameless life. Sweetheart, can I get my, can I get my water, please? Thank you. This man in this text, his name is Nathaniel. Thank you so much, sweetie. The character that we're going to read about today, his name is Nathaniel. In the Gospel of John... We see him named accordingly. If you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you will see him referred to as Bartholomew. It's the same guy. His full name is Nathaniel Bartholomew, but you hear him reflected differently in the different Gospels. Now, we don't know much about this guy, this apostle of the Lord. Again, we're going to be in verse 45 of John chapter 1. We're going to read that momentarily. We don't know much about him. What we do know about him is that he lost his prejudice when he met, when he encountered the Lord Jesus. Beloved, I need you to see this today, that Jesus doesn't care about your color. Black, white, red, brown, it doesn't matter to the Lord. Blue, doesn't matter. I believe that the answer to our issues of prejudice, just like we'll see in this scripture, is that we need Jesus. The answer to our problems in our society, the answer to prejudice is Jesus. So let's read our text together. We're in, if, if you could, if you would stand for me, those of you who can, in reading the Word of God, let us show reverence in reading of the Word of God. Let us stand to our feet as we read this text. Thank you again. Those of you who can stand, let us stand as we read the Word of God. 
Thank you very much. John chapter 1, verse 45 through 51 reads, Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph of Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, Now here is the genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Verse 48. How do you know about me, Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. And then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus asked him, do you believe this? I'm sorry, do you believe just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than this. And then Jesus said, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Father, thank you for the reading and revelation of your word. So Nathaniel here in the text was introduced to Jesus by Philip. Now when I examine this text, one of the things that I I noticed, or I, I realized about Philip is, Philip seemed to be a show-me kind of guy. Philip was one who I gleaned, looked at the text. He says, look what Moses and the prophets wrote about. So I, I gather that Philip went back, and Philip did his own research. Philip looked at the text. He examined the scriptures for himself. And then he, when he figured out who Jesus actually was, according to the scriptures, he was so excited that he could not wait to tell Nathaniel. Shouldn't that be us? Guys, we have a relationship. You, you have to understand, we have a relationship with someone who heals the brokenhearted, someone who gives purpose to people's lives. We have a relationship with the only person who can forgive sins, who can give peace and joy into our lives, and who can give us eternal life. Shouldn't we today be like Philip and be running to our friends and our families, telling them about this relationship that we have just as excited as Philip was? Amen. Amen. See, people have to encounter Jesus so that they can know him and so that Jesus can change them and transform them. See, Philip read the prophecies, and it became very clear to him that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. Let me take a minute just to read to you a few of these uh, scriptures because when I read these, and then this is a small sample, this got me really excited too. I'm going to run through these really quickly. These are the prophecies that Philip himself would have read. Genesis 3.15 says that Jesus would be born a virgin. Genesis 22.18 says that he would be a descendant of Abraham. Jeremiah 23.5 says that he would be a descendant of, the ki- of King David. Genesis 49.10 says that he would be from the tribe of Judah. Daniel 9.24 and 25 says that the Messiah would be born. Isaiah 7.14 says not only would he be born, but he would be born a virgin. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says that he would be born in Bethlehem. 
Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 says that he would be preceded by a forerunner. Psalms 41 9 says that he would be betrayed by a friend. Zechariah 9 9 says that he would have a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Zechariah 11 12 says that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Psalms 22, Isaiah 53 both say that he would die, would be murdered on a cross. Psalm 16, 10 says that he would be risen from the dead. Can someone say amen? These are just a small fraction of the scriptures that Philip would have read that helped him to believe that Jesus was indeed who he said he was, but Nathaniel did not remember these scriptures. He either didn't know or didn't remember, so when he heard about Jesus, he was confused because of his ignorance. He encountered Jesus, but he was still confused because of his prejudice. And how do we know this? Because he looked down on Jesus. Because of where Jesus came from. And he says it in the text. He says, can anything good come from Nazareth? That's a very common prejudice in ancient biblical times for that region. And because of his ignorance, he let his prejudice almost prevent him from seeing the Lord. But John 7, 52 they even went as far as saying, are you from Galilee to search the scriptures and see for yourself? No prophet ever came from Galilee. Again, that was another statement of ignorance because the text clearly shows that not one, not two, not three, not four, but five prophets came from the region of Galilee. We had Jonah, Nahum, Hosea, Elijah, and Elisha. Five prophets came from the region, but ignorance makes you say ignorant things. Hmm. See, the mother of prejudice is ignorance. Absolute ignorance. See, if Nathaniel had known about these prophecies, if he wasn't ignorant to the fact, he would never have made the statement that he did. Matthew twenty-two thirteen says, So the family went to live in a town called Nazareth, uh, this fulfilled what the prophet said that he would be called a Nazarene. But he was ignorant, and his ignorance caused his prejudice. We make statements all the time, all of us, out of ignorance. We don't know, and we make assumptions. Let me give you an illustration of what I mean. This is just an illustration. There's no real-life basis. But imagine someone traveled abroad. Let's just say in this case they traveled to South America, enjoyed a vacation in South America, returned home, was telling his friend all about his trip, and the, a man would say, you know, something interesting I noticed about those people is that everywhere they go, people walk in single-file lines everywhere they go. And his friend replied, how do you know that to be true? And he says, well, all the people I saw walked in single-file lines. As if he saw every town and met every person in the country. He made a general statement of ignorance. Now that might sound weird, may sound kind of hokey, that may even sound really far-fetched, but is it? It's like a lot of people thinking that all blacks commit crimes or all whites are racist or all cops are evil, bad people. These are statements of ignorance and should not be tolerated. People make statements, make generalizations, without facts. 
Nathaniel was prejudiced against Jesus because of where he came. Now listen, there are also people in the world, people who are not Christians because they're prejudiced against Jesus. There are a lot of people, guys, and we have to be careful. There are a lot of people in our circles who claim to be Christians in title only, but they're not Christians because they clearly reject Jesus. They reject the sovereignty and the authoritative nature of his word, but yet they claim the title. These people are not Christians, and they have a prejudice. They hear or say disparaging things about our faith. And here's the thing. They, most of these people have never actually investigated the claims of Jesus in the Bible for themselves. They've never actually taken the time to fully consider the words of Scripture. I hear a lot. This is, again, a general statement of ignorance. I hear all the time, the Bible is full of contradictions. I haven't met one person who can give me one. I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people, and I have not had one person who can give me a valid contradiction of Scripture. They just heard someone say it, and so they repeated it. You know, others have had a bad experience at church. This is pretty common in our church circles. People have a bad experience at church, and so because of their bad experience at church, they want to reject Jesus altogether. Let me tell you something. I've eaten at some bad restaurants in my time. Anybody ever eat at a bad restaurant? Just a bad service, bad food. Anybody stop going out to eat after that? No. You might have just stopped going to that restaurant, right? Wasn't well, that the case? How foolish is it that you reject Jesus because of a bad experience? I don't stop eating, and I sure haven't stopped going out, and I've had plenty of bad experiences at a restaurant. But they haven't rejected um, Jesus, per se, in many cases, they're rejecting the church, which is Jesus here on earth. Or some idea about Jesus that really isn't true. But Nathaniel's problem here in the text was his prejudice was rooted in ignorance. His prejudice had nothing to do with Scripture, and how he, but it had everything to do with how he felt about the people in Nazareth. And, and I would say today that there are a lot of people who have prejudices against even us Christians because they really don't take the time to investigate. They don't take time to see for themselves. See, listen, once you have an experience, everybody, anybody here had an experience with Jesus before? Anybody? Okay. Amen. That's most of you. You're a little bashful. Today it's hot. You don't want to put your hand up. Amen. I get it. But most of us have had an experience with Jesus, and you will know there's nothing anyone can do once you meet the living Christ to tear you out of his arms. Amen. There is nothing that anyone can do. And so, guys, many of us hearing this message, we really need to let go of our prejudices, and we need to let hold on to Jesus. We need to grab a hold of not our prejudices, but hold on to Jesus because Jesus is ready. He is willing. He is able to do things in you and through you if you will let him. But Nathaniel almost missed out because of his prejudice. I want to move quickly here. Nathaniel went from being ignorant to now receiving Christ in the text. But how did Nathaniel come to faith? How was his prejudice cured. And that's what we want to know today. How do we cure prejudice in our lives and in the world? So watch this. If you want to come to know the truth about Jesus or anything for that matter, you got to come and check it out for yourself. 
You have to come and live it. You have to experience it. You have to come to know it intimately to get rid of these biases and prejudices in your life. And that's what Philip did here in the text. Psalms 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joy of those who take refuge in him. Listen, guys, don't tell me Jesus is not the way if you've never tried him. Don't tell me Jesus isn't the answer if you've never tried it. Don't tell me Jesus can't save your marriage, fix your relationships, help you with your finances if you've never tried it. But the challenge that God gives us is to come and see. That's the challenge that God gives us. If you want to know Jesus as the Savior of God or not, you have to come and see. If you want to know if the Bible is actually the Word of God, you have to come and see. If you want to know if God can change your life, you have to come and see. If you have prejudices about Christianity, maybe those of you who are watching online on our stream, if you have questions or uncertainty about our faith and our belief in Jesus as Lord, Messiah, and Savior, you have to come and see. But you can't just come the way you are. There's some conditions to your coming, and I'm going to review a few of those as we begin to wrap this up. Is we have to come first with an open mind. Matthew 11:25 and 26 says, "At that time Jesus prayed this prayer. He says, "O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Catch this. Here's what this means." Guys, you got to come to God if you're going to experience him in a childlike state. You know why it has to be a childlike state? Because children don't have prejudices. It is a learned behavior. It is learned thought. Children don't have prejudices. And Jesus says you got to come like a child, a child who trusts his daddy to throw him up in the air and will be there to catch him on your way down. You have to trust him like a child, but you have to come honestly. People come with an agenda when they come to God, and they're not really coming honestly and sincerely. You have to be honest about your desire to seek truth. Some just want to seek truth or the, their idea of truth to fill their agenda, or just for the sake of knowledge. But God promised something in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. He says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me, he says. See, you have to want the truth. You can't be divided by it or about it. You have to want it with all of your heart. So if you're looking just for ammunition to feed whatever your agenda or your presuppositional ideas are, you will not find truth. All you're going to find is whatever you want to find to fill your agenda. I see it all the time. People looking through Scripture, finding isolated verses to fill their agenda. You don't believe me. I hear people, I've heard people say, my mind is made up. Don't confuse me with the facts. Y'all know that's true. You know that to be true. Don't confuse me with the facts. And that's how a lot of people are, and that's how their ideas are. Facts don't matter. As a matter of fact, the, the, the very idea of truth is under assault today. Everything is relative. 
How you want it is just fine. How you want it is fine. How you want it is just fine. The way everybody wants it is just fine. There's no longer absolute truth. And if truth in the world is under assault, then the actual truth of the word of God seems like it can't stand a chance. But it has, and it does. But we have to do it diligently. We have to make sure that we show our interest in getting rid of our biases, get rid of our prejudices and finding the truth in the word. We have to make sure that we seek this truth in the same way we seek money every day to pay our bills. Can you think if you just think about how that would change your life? If you sought out the word, if you dug into the scripture, if you analyzed it and, 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 and you, you, you literally ate the word like the Bible says and you tasted the sweetness of the word like it was honey. Can you imagine if you did that the same way you chase money every day to pay your bills? bills, how different your life would be? Think about that for a moment. How the Word of God would transform your thinking and your mind. You would be renewed every day if we just chased after him the way we chased after those things. But we have to be submissive, guys. Uh, you know, we, maybe we come honestly, we come diligently, but we're, we don't really come submissively. We still come as if we have some authority in our lives. But we have to come submissively. See, this invitation from God to come and see, to get rid of our prejudices, this invitation, when we come and see this, we have to come submissively. You see, we can't come like this. We must come like this. Okay, and I, I'll sit there for a minute. Because here is the place of power. Here is where God can really do his work. Because if we're standing up and it's our authority, if it's our power, we'll never get it. We're just trusting in our own understanding. We're trusting in our own knowledge. But when we do get it, when we are willing to take a knee and bow before the Lord and we receive the truth of his revealed words in the text and through our Lord Jesus, we can't just leave it there. Guys, listen to me, this is important. You have to act on it. Because knowledge without a response, without an act, is pointless. We must act on our knowledge of God, the truth that he has given us, but it's going to be unsettling. See, when God tells you to love your enemies as you, or love them as you would have someone love yourself, that's unsettling. That's not easy, especially when we're talking about our enemies. It's not an easy, it's, it, it just makes us uncomfortable. It has to cause us to revise our thinking. It has to cause us to revise and reform our very life because the word without transformation in your life is just you going through the motions. There are some people who want to know Jesus and Jesus puts this challenge to them in John 17, verse, uh, John verse 7, verse 17, where John writes, whoever is willing to do what God wants will know whether what I teach comes from God or whether I speak on my own authority. So guys, if you want to know God's will today, you have to be willing to do his will. See, Philip, in this text, he, he had studied all the scriptures. He was convinced, guys, by the prophecy, and it changed his life. I wanna, we're going to begin to close today. Is, I want to read uh, Isaiah 53 today. Anybody ever read Isaiah 53 in its entirety? Amen. There's a few of you. And maybe some of you have not, and I want to bless you with reading Isaiah 53 today. Is that okay? 
It's a, it's a, it's a lengthier reading, but bear with me. We'll, we'll get through this together. Again, you can grab your Bibles out. The first time I read it years ago, um, it changed my life. It made me see the truth in the entirety of its word and the continuity of Scripture. Let me read this with you today. Again, Isaiah 53, we're going to read the entire chapter of Isaiah 53, and we're almost done. I love how Isaiah opens this message today. Again, guys, um, ignorance is killed through knowledge. So let us get some knowledge of the Lord today. He starts in verse 1 and he says, Who has believed our message? This is 700 years almost before Christ was born to this earth. Isaiah again, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his presence, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. He turned We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And he and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's plan to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly. Yet he said, or he never said a word. He was led like a, sl- like a lamb to the slaughter and a sheep, or and as a sheep is silent before the shear. He did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he, did, he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life was made an offering for sin, we will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life. The Lord's good plan will prosper in his hand. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. For he will bear all their sins. Verse 12, I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for me and you. Some of your versions say rebels, but we are, we were rebels to the Lord. So I want you to look at what Nathaniel said here as we close in verse 49 here uh, of, of John 1. Nathan exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. He called Jesus Rabbi, 
teacher, master. He called him the son of God, the mediator. He called him Jesus, the king of Israel, or in other words, the Messiah. That was Nathaniel's confession. Are you willing to make that same confession in your life? Are you willing to confess without any biases, without any prejudices, without any substitutions or reservations? Are you willing to confess that Jesus is your Lord so that he can guarantee you eternal life in his kingdom? Are you willing to allow him to get ready to make you a new person? I don't care if you've already been saved. He still wants to make you new. The Bible says he wants to transform you and renew you every single day. There's a lot of people who um, take hold of their beliefs stronger than they'll take hold of the Word of God, but I want to encourage you today as we finish this message to believe what the Word says, not because I'm telling you to, but I just read to you Isaiah 53, which was read, written 700 years before Jesus stepped foot on this earth. And every single word in that chapter was fulfilled with pinpoint accuracy. Beloved, we have to let go of our biases, our prejudices. We have to receive the fullness of God. Jesus, the Bible says that we, we should think, act, and be more like Jesus, that we should be transformed into his likeness. We're his image bearers, guys. We have to be transformed into his likeness and his image more and more every day. The Bible says that we are taken from glory to glory, from faith to faith, but we can only do that with the power of, and the blood of Jesus in our lives. Can someone say amen? Thank you guys for allowing me today to tackle this very difficult topic and to share with you some of my opinions and to share with you not my opinion, but the Word of God. We're dealing with some really difficult times today. The prejudices that we see out here in the world can only be answered, can only be conquered by Jesus. No legislative act or body can deal with these issues. I don't care what anyone says. I don't care what your politics are. Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter. Independent. None of your politics can answer this problem. None. The only thing that can answer this problem that we face today in our society to combat the massive issue of prejudice and even combat racism that exists in various corners and sectors of our uh, uh, country and our world is through Jesus. Jesus wants us to love everyone the way he did. He wants us to be sacrificial to everyone we encounter in the same way he was sacrificial to you when you were still his enemy. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for revealing to us the answer. Lord, we're running around today trying to find answers in all the wrong places. God, we've taken you out of all the places that you need to be. You birthed this nation to be a Protestant nation, one with values and beliefs that reflected the truth of your word. But all these centuries later, Father, we have strayed and for this, God, I pray for the repentance of our country 
and the repentance of our own hearts and our own prejudices, Lord. We don't mean it, but our flesh is weak. So, Father, I just pray today that you help us to put back into place where you needed to be first in our hearts, reigning sovereignly in our hearts without competition. I pray that you help us to bring you back into our government, into our schoolhouses, into every single part of our lives and society. Jesus, you are the answer. You are the answer for all of our troubles, small and large. If we will just hear you, if we will just respond to you. I pray that this message prompts your people to open up your word. I hear all the time, Father, people saying that they just don't hear you very much because they're not opening your word. You will speak to us if we will just open this book and if we read with an open heart and an open mind submissively, you will give us the answers. So we thank you today, Father. 